You show me there's a problem, you show me what the solution is, you show me how other communities have successfully implemented that solution, and you tell me that, you know, we can do this here in Monterey mm -hmm. County. Yeah, let's have a conversation about it. All right. So... <laughs> <laughs>
when you don't realize it, but like really Monterey County services touched everyone's life. Yeah. And when we're doing it right, you won't know because it's smooth and simple yeah. and it's not a problem. But when we're, when we're not, when it's not working, then that's when people are um, sort of more aware of, when there's a problem, that's when you're aware of like, hey, who's responsible for this and what's well, the county. So it sounds like if I had to sum it up really quickly, you manage social service programs, infrastructure projects, public safety, public safety in health. terms of law enforcement as well as just the health of people. Mm -hmm. um, well, that's a good start. Yes, and environmental stewardship. <laughs> environmental stewardship. Of the is tremendous very amount of unincorporated land in this county, right. primarily um, agriculture. So this is, today's Friday. You had a whole week. What did you do this week? What did I do this week? Yeah, what didn't you do, I guess? Well, so, so you know, this week was, um, was an interesting week. It was a little bit different. Some big announcements on Monday, um, unrelated to my work in this office, mm -hmm. but, um, you know, we can, we can talk about that maybe another time outside of this sure. office. that's fine. Uh, but in a typical week, in a typical week in this office, we spend um, Mondays preparing for a board meeting. So we get our, uh, our board agenda, which includes somewhere between 50 to 70 items. There's usually a staff report with attachments. So I spent a lot of time reading all of those documents from staff. Mm -hmm. I'm looking for what's being said. I'm looking for what's not being said. I'm looking for how does this connect back to values and, um, and other programs that exist in the community. I'm reading it to figure out which community organizations or community groups might be interested in this and have something to say about this. And then I'm drafting up a list of questions that we're then putting back out to department heads. So for instance, say the libraries are looking to expand their bookmobile program and they have an item on the consent agenda because they're purchasing a new bookmobile and they got a grant for it. That's one of the agenda items. So I'm looking at, okay, where is this bookmobile gonna serve? Is it an unserved community? Um, who might wanna know about this? Is there is there something that's you know tricky that's, that that they didn't that they excluded from the staff report for some reason, and then I'm going to call the department head. I'm going to ask them some questions, and then we're going to send uh, prepare. At the end of the day, we sit down and we prepare um, sort of a list of notes uh, and comments for the supervisor to go into her meeting with. So, um, you know, it could be you know here are some questions that you need to ask about this. Here are some statements that you might consider saying. Here are some, you know, here's some feedback from the community group that helped get the grant that you might want to recognize. Uh, so then we send her in to the board meeting on Tuesday and all day Tuesday. So county board mm -hmm. of supervisors meets every Tuesday, almost every Tuesday gotcha. from nine and the meetings go until anywhere between three and five, 6 p.m. Wow. So then on Tuesday, <laughs> we're staffing the board meeting. So we're watching what's happening. There's a little room um, with the main board chambers that, you know, most people have never been into a city council chamber or a board chamber, mm. but it's a big meeting room. All the supervisors sit up, um, like elevated at a dais. Uh, staff come up, give their reports, they discuss it, they vote. The public has an opportunity to comment on every item. So we're listening for who's commenting. We're listening to what staff is adding to what was, you know, they'll give a verbal presentation. I'm listening for what was added from what they had written. Uh, we're listening to what the other supervisors are saying. If it's something controversial, we're always looking to count to three, right? There's five supervisors. In order to have something mm -hmm. voted to be approved, you're either looking for, do I have three votes? Or are there you know, votes to stop it from moving forward? Yeah. So there's always that number calculation in the back of your head. Uh, and then if the supervisor needs any support during the meeting, you know, you're, yeah. you're just there, you're available to you know, navigate staff questions, um, community questions, uh, and make sure she's she's fully prepared to represent the district. So something like the bookmobile idea that, that percolates up from staff um, in this office or in other offices around the county? Yeah, so that's um, that's a really good question and like deserving of a much longer conversation <laughs> because there's all yeah. sorts of nuance to that. Uh, but yeah, so items that come from, so, so in Monterey County, we have, our, we have our department heads and our department heads have a lot of responsibility to vet issues and bring them to the Board of Supervisors. Mm -hmm. So usually, in most cases, typically, before an item gets on that board agenda, it has to go through a department head. So say we had this idea, like, you know, we talked to our community, the community in Marina said, you know, we love our library and we want a bookmobile at every one of our schools uh, to visit the schools. And we uh, are gonna, you know, friends of the Marina Library are gonna go out and get a grant. Um, so we would then, as 
supervisorial staff, we would work with the library staff and the community to have the library staff and library director bring that back to the board. Okay. So, so yes. So most things go through the, the department staff. Right. But we work closely with them on a lot of those issues. And does something like a bookmobile, is that something that ends up in that boardroom meeting? Or rather, the, the board of supervisors on their dais, somebody presents an idea to them and they vote whether to say, yeah, let's buy the bookmobile. Is it, or is it a little, little more complex? Yeah, it's a little more complex than that, but only because um, you know, by the time something gets, so in order to have something show up on that agenda, mm -hmm. there's a whole process that that department head is gonna go through before that item gets to the agenda. That item's gonna be vetted by, uh, by legal staff, that item's gonna be vetted by budget staff, that item's gonna be vetted by um, you know, potentially our fleet management staff, that item's gonna be vetted by a whole number of different uh, other internal departments to make sure that yes, the library has funding for this, yes, the grant that they applied for was a legal grant for them to apply for, yes, that the contract that we have to sign doesn't tie the county's hands mm -hmm. in some sort of way. Uh, and that process can be really lengthy. So there are things that you think would just be so simple but it really requires this whole um, this whole internal county process. So before anything ever gets to the board agenda for approval, there's usually quite a bit of staff time and work that's right. gone into it to get it there. Okay, yeah. so I, that's really good. I was because I it, it's hard to say like how an idea from somewhere in the community actually ends up in front of a county supervisor. People actually make the decisions. This is kind of filling that out. Um, and it is fascinating. I mean, yeah. so. I think it's it's fascinating, and I think that there's um, there's so many opportunities for the community to to participate in the process. But unless we find ways to make the process accessible to people and they understand how it works, it's hard, right? It's hard to like know where do I engage? Where's the right place to engage? How does an idea start as an idea that maybe the friends of the Marina Library have and turn into something that's actually gone through the county process um, and come out the other end as a policy? Okay, so and I could give you so many cool examples. Yeah. Of <laughs> so I'm just curious. So yeah. When, what what is the organization that wanted the uh, bookmobile? Um, and this example. is theoretical, right? Yeah, yeah. So let's just say it's a it's a community group. It's maybe like a, a group of parents. So who, who do they go to first to start that idea up the ladder or across the departments to eventually make it here? Where does that process begin? So they could come and meet with us. Okay. Um, we would probably the same way I'm meeting with the you same today. way that you're. You could call my office. You could write me a letter. Mm -hmm. um, you know, call a supervisor's office, write a letter, uh, and then what I would probably do is be like, "Oh, hey, that's an interesting idea. What kind of support do you have? Mm -hmm. Does anyone disagree with? Who are the anti-bookmobile people? <laughs> you know, like, are, have you talked to them? Yeah. What are their concerns? What are the reasons that this? You know, what are the barriers to having this? So we kind of work through like, what are the, all the reasons that, that that could or couldn't happen. Right. And then I'll probably put you in touch with uh, someone from that department who's doing that work. Um, so, you know, uh, the library director. And the library director will sit down and say, you know, that's a great idea. My staff is maxed out. I can't take on, we wouldn't be able to staff it on an ongoing basis, mm -hmm. whatever those challenges are. And then it's kind of a discussion that happens from there. They say, oh my gosh, we were thinking the same thing. And oh, wow, you found this, re you know, we were resource constricted, but you found this resource. So let's figure out how we can work together. Um, start sorting through those issues. Gotcha. The, the bookmobile is a little bit, you know, that's, it's, it's such a, everyone who's going to disagree with that. I think some of the examples <laughs> that like come right back, you know, yeah. we did um, early, early on when Jane was elected, uh, um, I go to, I, circling back to what do we do the rest of the week, so Monday, Tuesday, board prep, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, a lot of meetings, a lot of commissions, mm -hmm. a lot of um, community meetings, a lot of coalition meetings. Uh, and then I go to the meetings and then I walk back to my car and there's usually someone that follows me in the car or you're in the parking lot and you end up having conversations with county staff people. And oftentimes there's county staff people who are doing amazing, incredible work on policy issues on, you know, um, and these are real examples, of, like a breastfeeding policy mm. or a tobacco retail licensing ordinance. And they're just you know, in their office doing the work, but how do you get it from where they're, they've got their coalition and they've been working on it and they've got support for something, but how do you get it back through their department, back to the department head, who's gonna then commit the resources of the other staff to, to look at it, to then get it in front of the board? Gotcha. 
And so a lot of times, it's where we are talking to folks, they've already got traction on something, they're already moving on something, there's already sort of, um, there's an idea that's pretty well formed and they're just kind of stuck. So it's those cases where we've been able to come in and really say, tobacco retail licensing ordinance, heck yeah, when you tell me that 50% of our, of our retailers, tobacco retailers are selling to kids, that's a problem, mm -hmm. and you're telling me that there's a solution through this TRLO where we can, you know, TRLO? tobacco retail licensing okay. ordinance, where we can provide some enforcement and okay. education back to those retailers so that they remember that probably selling to kids isn't the best idea and it's not what we value and want in our community. And you've got a solution right there? Okay, like let's figure out how to move that through the process. So okay. then we'll work with them and make sure they understand sort of internally within the department here's how to do it and if they get stuck we then have this other option um, I know you can't see my hands flying around <laughs> but we've got this other option of uh, board referral yeah. which is where we'll actually write up a request to have something placed on the agenda that board referral that comes from our office goes directly to the CAO our county administrative officer and then he'll work with the department head to get that idea brought through the process mm. and onto the board agenda so sometimes there's hiccups, right? Sometimes sure. there's reasons within a big bureaucracy that an idea, we've got great staff working on great ideas, but they just can't get it through the system back to where the Board yeah. of Supervisors is gonna be able to vote on it. And for me, I get really frustrated because we've got a, we've got a, we've got a board right now that's pretty supportive of social policy, progressive social policy, tobacco retail licensing ordinance, uh, policies that are gonna pr protect, um, you know, breastfeeding moms returning mm -hmm. to work. Um, so you know, all of these things, but if it, but if we can't get that policy in front of the board for them to vote on it, it's kind of it doesn't really matter. So what are the things that we need to do to make it easier to get everyone's great ideas and the great work that they're doing in front of the board so that we can have a vote so that we can then have those policies implemented back out in the community or in the county or wherever. So it sounds like a really broad kind of problem solving. It's it's department. You're helping people see their ideas realized if if they have proper merit i suppose that, that's yeah. very you show me there's a problem you show yeah. me what the solution is you show me how other communities have successfully implemented that solution and you tell me that you know we can do this here in monterey mm -hmm. county yeah let's have a conversation about it all right so <laughs> <laughs> and i'll let me circle one more yeah, yeah, you please, know, please. and i'll just keep talking so you tell me when you want to okay. interrupt me but um you know this idea of uh, a board referral so when Jane took office in 2009, um, it, was, it was surprising to us that there was no mechanism for a supervisor, an elected supervisor representing the county to place something on the county's board agenda. There was no mechanism for that. We had no way to bring forward an item hmm. and have it placed on the agenda without first going through a department head and having that uh. department head interpret what we were asking for, put it into their own words, and then have that placed on the agenda. So you would, the board would vote, but they wouldn't get to decide anything that's really on the agenda. Right, so okay. we could only, so the, and, 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 so, and so we're like, okay, well we've got these things, but we're now relying on department heads to amend it, to fit their needs, mm. to bring it forward, okay. um, taking into account sort of political dynamics and their own interests, and um, so we were limited. So this idea of a board referral was something that we proposed back, that Supervisor Parker proposed back in 2009 to allow for a board office to request that certain language or certain right. items be added to a board, a future board agenda. And that process is still working really well today. So we now have the ability, if there's an issue that we're frustrated with, we were able to use that board referral on both of those two other examples, the breastfeeding um, mm -hmm. policy and the tobacco retail licensing ordinance. Those were some of the, the first board referrals that the supervisor made to be able to move those things forward. Helps you kind of bypass a few bureaucratic layers. It gives, it's the board, yeah. you know, our, the board gives direction. The board gives direction to the CAO. The CAO manages, for the most part, most of those departments. Mm -hmm. It's really inappropriate for a board office to give direction to staff who are doing the work, it's, it's not our role, right? Our role is policy, our role is to vote on what shows up, but if we can't control what shows up on that agenda, it's a catch-22. So allowing us to give direction directly to the CAO so that he can then work with his departments in the way that's appropriate for them to have something placed on the agenda allows everyone to maintain their role in the system mm -hmm. 
uh, and for the Board of Supervisors to actually have voice in determining what shows up on the agenda. Wow. So that that's that's a change that only happened about 10 years ago. 2009. Bef so before, <laughs> before that, it was you'd have to go to an individual department with your issue and hope that it makes it up, up the ladder, percolates up to this office eventually in that boardroom where they make a vote. Right. But now there's a little more Which is a little less action. transparent, right? Yeah. And a little yeah. more sort of politically driven, um, depending on where you sit in the, you know, um, in the system. Yeah. Well, th I'm glad you added that because that, that even further fills out the process um, and gives me a, an idea of where I might go if I have, mm -hmm. if I have a problem mm -hmm. one mm -hmm. day that the county Or have a great policy suggestion. Yeah, sure. Which great policy suggestions come out of CSUMB. Mm -hmm. Great policy suggestions are coming out of MIS. Great policy suggestions are coming out of some of our educational institutions. And so we want to take advantage <laughs> of all of those. Speaking of policy suggestions um, and ideas and questions, really, because most I, I don't have any policy suggestions today so much as questions about existing policies and ordinances. Yeah, yeah. And I'm going to start it with a, like a sort of multiple choice, but really just two different choices. If you <laughs> um, and let me know if you need me to reword this in a yep, more sure. concise way. But if you, as an office, had to prioritize either incentivizing district residents to upzone, like increase density in a neighborhood, or incentivizing developers to increase more affordable housing, I don't know that these are necessary dichotomous, but it seems like there are. Um, competing interests there and uh, th this this does get political this has a lot to do with NIMBY this has a lot to do with how inclusionary this county actually is so are there sort of policy priorities here at the office about whether to build up and kind of change the character of the county especially in places like say Sand City Seaside Monterey where um, this district kind of covers the map? Or are you looking more to help businesses out, help out the developers? I, and like I said, interpret this as, as it works yeah, for you. Yeah, so, so I'm gonna, um, so a few points, just mm -hmm. as background. So the county, um, the county of Monterey, while we have all of these responsibilities for like social health, um, health services that sort of touch everyone across the board, um, Individual jurisdictions like Delray Oaks, like Seaside, um, have their own authority and control over their land use. Mm -hmm. The county doesn't, the county is a subdivision of the state, but cities are not a subdivision of the county. So okay. while we as a county take, have mandates from the state, the county doesn't then get to pass along mandates to cities. Mm -hmm. So in, in that sense, from a land use and planning perspective, the counties and the cities. The county has land use jurisdiction for unincorporated land within Monterey County, and the cities have land use jurisdiction within their city boundaries. So, for instance, the Sand City project to put in the hotel yeah. and the housing, and the county has zero jurisdiction over what the city of Sand City is deciding. The county would, however, have jurisdiction when we're talking about what happens um, in. Uh, in Castroville, which is unincorporated. Castroville okay. is not an incorporated city, so every all the land in and around Castroville is unincorporated. So that's where the county has responsibility to plan for that's an important that land. And it's a really yeah. important distinction that I think gets lost in in conversation. And it's not the kind of thing that we generally think about, you know, who has jurisdiction mm -hmm. and how does authority move. It's the same thing with the county sheriff. The county sheriff um, has jurisdiction to patrol the unincorporated areas, but within a city, it's not like the county sheriff can come in and you know tell that city how to manage their public safety uh, responsibilities. So right now we're sitting in the city of Marina. We're in a county building, mm -hmm. but we're in the city of Marina. So the city of Marina has jurisdiction here. But if you walk a mile uh, east from where we're at, the the border between the county the city of Seaside and the city of Marina exists, mm -hmm. and you're then on unincorporated county land. So at that point, if you were to call a sheriff, call up for public safety, you'd have a county sheriff responding. Okay. So that kind of thing, right? Um, 
And then overlaying that is, uh, is a number of like resource constrictions that mm -hmm. exist. So it's never really as simple as, you know, well, in, in theory, like I can say whatever I want, but the reality that we, we operate within is oftentimes very different. So just as a preface to that yeah. question before I can even begin to answer it. That's good. I'm, uh, that's right? exactly, <laughs> this is exactly what we're looking for because it's hard to, it's hard to know where one authority begins and ends and another be begins. Because uh, there are county ordinances that dictate certain, say, elements of housing. Mm -hmm. uh, but then, so I, I want I to know where, where does that run up to city ordinances and which one actually ends up determining the result? <laughs> so um, okay, so I don't want to I don't want to make any statements that are incorrect. So I'm um, and it's it's fairly um, it is complicated and it is uh, nuanced and um, I think my best my best recommendation the county just had a so we're talking about county housing policy mm -hmm. we're talking about unincorporated land so we're talking about communities that outside of incorporated communities um, we're talking then about the when you look at county housing policy, it's outdated. We need to update it. Um, we'll get to that much later. much that needs to be updated. <laughs> uh, but the county, so I'm going to refer back to the county board of supervisors just had a housing uh, workshop um, study session. So they spent all afternoon. They received a ton of information. We had just ton, loads of reading, tons of reports, all posted online. Uh, where we went into some detail on those issues. Um, and I didn't, I, I mean, I could pull that out and we could like go back through it one, one step at a time. I don't, I don't wanna uh, rely on my memory to, sure. to answer like details on that. That's okay. Um, but you know, big questions that we have are uh, the, the county's housing element has RENA goals, which is the regional mm -hmm. housing needs assessment goals. Uh, we're making progress on reaching those, um, but our strategies for reaching those are questions that we need to talk about, right? So if our strategy for reaching affordable housing goals is to have an inclusionary housing ordinance that says for every 100 market rate homes you build, 20. 10 of those or 20 of those are yeah. gonna be low income, or you can opt out of that requirement and just put money into mm -hmm. a fund, and that money may or may not ever be actually be spent on low income housing. That was one of the questions I had about the in lieu fees. Yeah, so the in lieu, so, so, so yeah, so that, and like that's one of the things that like the board is grappling with right mm -hmm. now uh, is how do we deal with in lieu fees? How do we, how do we, how do, do we want to rely on inclusionary housing ordinances to meet our low income housing and affordable and workforce housing needs? And where do we put those low-income houses, and in what communities are we asking to right. bear the um, bear the responsibility? And how does that contribute to our traffic patterns? And how does that contribute within our resource constraints? Right. So these are like just really big policy questions sure. that the board hasn't given really clear direction on, um, but they're talking about it. We need to. We know we need to update our policies. Um, the county just hired a housing director. We've had a vacant position in our housing uh, program for a while. Um, we just hired a housing director to mm -hmm. sort of come in, dig into that, and then work to provide some recommendations to the board. Um, but a lot of her time right now is being spent on dealing with the crisis of our lack of affordable housing mm -hmm. in terms of looking at homelessness and what is the county's responsibility for making sure that people have safe legal. So like these yeah. pieces, like it's almost hard to talk about one without talking about the other. And then when you talk about internal county resources and where are we putting our efforts and energy, um, I, I believe that we're capable of walking and chewing gum mm -hmm. at the same time. And um, so while we need to respond to crises, we also have to be planning. So but you get into sort of a whole, you start unpeeling the onion and then you yeah. realize, oh, well, if we're going to talk about, you know, the inclusionary housing policy, then we're going to talk about, 
you know, water. And if we're going to talk about water, we're going to talk about, you know, uh, economic development. If we're going to talk about economic development, we're back to, you know, so all these pieces fit together in this big, massive jigsaw puzzle. I know. The more I learn, the less any of it makes any sense. Um, and I feel like you have to be in a position where you're just in it all day, every day to start learning to swim in it instead of just flail. <laughs> and I can only imagine how long it took for you to be able to navigate it as you do. But and and we have a lot of really amazing experts mm -hmm. in their fields, and we have county staff who are focused on pieces of this all day long. We have external experts like, you know, Modern Bay Economic Partnership, for mm -hmm. instance, who's been phenomenal in terms of just saying, okay, let's cut to the heart of like, what are, what everyone's got to do their part um, but but what what do we mean when we say that like how do you like what is it that I'm asking and when I show up at your city council meeting and I say I want more affordable housing like what is it that I'm asking the council to do right. how do you tie that back to the policy that's gonna make uh, incremental difference and that, that brings me to this point that a professor of ours makes in every time every time she teaches program evaluation um, Beryl Levenger She's a pretty iconic figure at Miss. I don't know how well she is known around here, but it sounds like you know her. It looks like We you recognize know. the name, yeah. yeah. Um, she says the problem is never a lack of something. The problem is the presence of something. Um, because you, you c it's hard to work with just a negative space. Uh, you can fill it with something, but you, who knows if that's the right thing. So it, l using affordable housing as our focal point here, um, Obviously, the lack of it is is one way to frame it. But if to frame it another way, what is what are the obstacles? What are the problems in creating more affordable housing here? I know that water is a major limiting factor in terms of just allocating water to a development. But there are also sort of attitudes among residents that make it difficult. As far as the county's work goes, say the District 4 office where we're sitting right now, what can you do? What are you looking at as in terms of targets to focus your people power? And it's, it's, it's an excellent point. And I often say, you know, we, we can talk about resource yeah. constraints all day long, or we can talk about decisions that we make and how we choose to allocate our resources. Like the, the yeah. really at the, at the heart of it. And I can spend all day, you know, out meeting with community groups and that's great. But uh, I can, when I'm choosing to do that, which is really important, I'm also choosing not to do the policy work that you know you can hold me accountable for. Mm -hmm. So, you know, for, just as an example, um, now I know this isn't an easy question. So yeah, and I'm going to answer it slightly around. I'm going to kind of walk around yeah. it a little bit. But um, so the things that we can do, and the, the only way that so here's what I've learned working for a supervisor: the only way that anything moves forward is because you have this 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 stool of three pieces in place, right? And I think Jane talked about this. So mm. this we call it the power of three. Yeah. So we can have county staff, or in any department, you have staff people who are doing the work in a bureaucratic government setting. You have community that says, this is what we want, or this is what we don't want. This is the issue that we want you to focus yeah. on. And you have electeds who are willing to vote and provide that political sort of push into it. So in so many ways, while, we're, while you're asking me these questions about policy, I can't answer a question about policy in isolation mm -hmm. of what the community voice is advocating for yeah. and what the staff champions that I have access to are willing and able and resourced to work on. So, so having said that, sometimes in order to move, we're always looking at sort of what's, what's the ideal, in theory, what's the ideal? Okay, what's the reality? And where do I see these three pieces lining up together? What can I do to help support finding that county, that, that staff champion? And sometimes that's those parking lot conversations where I find a champion, or it's the just engaging and asking people, tell me more about what it is that you're excited about, figuring out where those people are, and if we don't have the positions, like creating those positions. Mm -hmm. We did that when we were working on violence prevention. You know, we, we realized the staff, the county didn't have a champion on these issues, so we created a position, and we've mm. now got someone working at the CAO level on violence prevention countywide. So we've created a champion when they didn't exist so that we'd have that staff piece in place. Remind me what CAO stands for. County Administrative Office. It. So it's like our, the CEO of the county, kind of level, high level, right. overseeing everything. Um, 
So, so it's, sometimes it's looking for that staff champion. And in the case of housing, we had an open position that was unfilled. Mm -hmm. We've now got someone filled, so we're working with her to figure out, okay, what are the things that you're going to be most interested in working on? Where does your sort of why come from? Where does your excitement and passion come from? Because that's where she's going to be most invested in seeing us be successful mm -hmm. moving something forward. We're looking at, you know, where are the community YIMBYs who are going to champion and show up and say yes to things? And where are the groups that are going to say no? And how can we hear what they have to say so that we're prepared and in crafting whatever policy we're able to craft, we're we're accounting for those barriers or we're accounting for that community. You know, what are the concerns of the community? We did this with the shelter, right? So we're talking mm. about the seaside shelter. Yeah. We're not only listening to those who say like, yeah, that's a great idea. We're also listening really carefully to people who say, I have a fear. I have a concern. Here's a reason why you shouldn't proceed with what it is you're thinking mm -hmm. about proceeding with. We're listening really closely to them and saying, okay, we need to craft your concern, we need to address your fears and concerns to the degree that you can mm -hmm. into whatever we're then working with that staff person to draft the policy that's then gonna get, and then I'm also looking to count to five, count to three on the Board of Supervisors for votes. So one of the, th sometimes part of my work is figuring out, okay, who are those community groups and how can I help make sure that they understand what the process is? How can I make sure that they understand, you know, sort of how to work together so that when the final product gets to whatever the final product is, whether it's update to the inclusionary housing program, mm -hmm. whether it's um, how the county will implement the transit-oriented development legislation that's coming down from the, the state. SB 50 related sort of stuff? Those kinds of things, whether it's how we're gonna spend the HEAP, um, okay. the Homeless Emergency Aid Program money, uh, whatever those things are, so that when they show up at the Board of Supervisors, it's not half of the people coming to say yes and half of mm. the people coming to say no. The more that that community voice can say, yeah, yeah, you, you found, you know, we all were heard and there's some sort of solution that's going to work for us uh, and we're supportive, it's a lot easier to get to three votes when you have um, that alignment than it is when you, yeah. when you don't. When you have some things show up, and you'll see this, right, so if you look historically, if what shows up at the board, for, for, which is that third piece, your mm -hmm. elected officials, when what shows up there is controversial and no one's comfortable with it, and you've got multiple groups all saying different things, it makes it a lot harder for those board members to um, to take a position or to vote in coordination with one another. So ideally you've kind of ironed out a lot of that stuff before it gets to the level of the board Right, right. And so, and so on housing policy, mm -hmm. there's a lot of work that's happening right now with the Monterey Bay Economic Partnership, with their partnership, you know, they're working with Landwatch on affordable yeah. housing, which may appear that those two groups are totally opposed to each other, but really they're, they're lined yeah. up on these issues. And by lining, them up, by lining them up early and making sure that as we craft solutions and as we have these discussions, all of their voices are included at every step of the way, mm -hmm. the outcome that we're going to get to that's going to show up is going to be, um, you know, it's going to be more palatable. It's probably going to be a better solution. Right. Um, so, so it's, I sort of take answer around your question, but it's, but it, but it all ties together. So, so the staff champions that are going to work on it, we've got them now in place at the county. The community groups who have drafted that here's the policies that we'll support, they're really clear. Embep um, is really clear. They're Monterey Bay Economic mm -hmm. Partnership. They're saying here's nine policy recommendations that we'll support. Like we've outlined them. You know that we're not going to show up and oppose you if you're supporting one of these mm -hmm. nine things. Right, so so they've made it simple. You've got Landwatch lined up with them. You've got some community groups who are now lining up with them, um, and then you've got the board of supervisors who are ready to engage in the conversation, ready to look at and talk about, you know, what are the barriers to putting more affordable housing in Monterey County? Where is the right place for that affordable housing? Right. How does it? How do we overcome the challenges that exist? How does that affect transportation? How does that affect our public safety resources? All of those pieces of the conversation have to you yeah. know, all get ironed out. And so I don't know if I answered your question, but it's like it's, sometimes <laughs> it's just so not. <laughs> and and yeah, yeah, we rely on private development to do some of that work. Right. And yeah, we rely on individuals. We're looking at an ADU policy. We've got staff, and the county's given direct. The board has given direction to say we want we want to we want staff we've, we've given direction to staff to say bring us back an ADU policy that will work for our county. Um, 
which has unique restrictions, limitations, and when you're talking about an incorporated land, you know, so if you're going to approve an ADU permit for someone, well, is there a septic system it, it prepared yeah. to handle that? Do they have water to add additional faucets? And like all these pieces have to be a part of that. Mm -hmm. and, and with you know, what, what the resource constrictions in Big Sur might be, may look very different to what those resource constraints in you know, North County might be mm -hmm. to South County. Yeah, I hear you. Does it have one policy that can like handle all? Uh, you know, it's, but at least we know that the community is behind the ADU policy because the community is <laughs> saying, yeah, we're there with you. Yeah, we were, I was talking about that with my professor the other day. He was saying, you know, he'd love to do that. He'd love to put an ADU in his house to make it easier for a student to move in somewhere in Monterey. Um, so I was doing a little and so math. that's a great thing to go talk to the city of Monterey about, yeah. right? Which of the MVAP policies are they moving forward with? Because the city has options to move forward with those policies. I talked to Hans a couple weeks ago. Yes. And he actually mentioned the ADU policy as well. Yes. Kind of uh -huh. passing mention. But it seems like something that people are, it's easier to get on board with something like that than, say, increasing the proportion of inclusionary housing that any given development needs to have. But I was just doing some math this morning mm -hmm. yep. about that. Yep. And after several lines of calculations and tapping on my phone, low income, low income housing is defined as 30% of the median income, which is around 62, 63,000 in Monterey, mm -hmm. um, which comes out that 30%, a little over $19,000 divided by 12, 1600 a month, just about, which for one adult working 40 hours a week, 160 hours a month, they earn about $1,760, leaving them $160 for everything besides housing. So you were talking about how certain ordinances might need to be updated. Is this something that the county is looking at in terms of updating ordinances and policies? Because, yes. I mean, 1600 it, versus... The and what you describe is why we have 9,000 homeless students in exactly. Monterey County. What you describe right there is why we have families doubled and tripled up. Mm -hmm. It's why we have, um, you know, older adults who are moving back in with their children. You know, it's why we have, um, it's why we have the increasing rates of homelessness mm -hmm. that we're seeing in our county. And we're just waiting for those new um, uh, point in time count numbers to come out. Yeah. It's why we have people sleeping in the parking lot here at night mm -hmm. who are working full-time jobs, sleeping in their car. Inclusionary housing ordinances aren't gonna get us there. Right. I, and uh, th like I said, this isn't about a, this isn't a gotcha yeah. moment. This is about no, it's, it's real. This is this is the reality that we're facing yeah. right now in Monterey County and in the state of California, and, and I think part of the ch with the challenge, right? So then you you get these much bigger sort of questions, like philosophical questions about well, is you know how much housing is is California is, is California expected to to keep building forever, and what does that look like? And I think you hear fear. Like there's a lot of fear that people come, you know, I live in, I live in Marina. I grew up, we're f I'm raising fifth generation, you know, Monterey County kid. So is the, is the Monterey County that he's gonna live in, that gonna look the same and feel the same as the Monterey County that my great grandparents moved right. to? Probably isn't. And there are those who feel really scared about yeah. change. Legitimately, I think there are concerns on the peninsula through some of our resource, resource constraints but, it, but at the same time and in the same hand, the only way that I'm able to live here as a fourth, fifth generation Monterey County resident is because we have grown, mm -hmm. because the county doesn't look the same as it did. The house that I live in now, what didn't exist, the neighborhood I live in now didn't exist when my grandparents moved here. So, 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 so how, we, how we engage in that and how we like yeah. realistically understand like what are the real resource constraints and what's the fear? And how do we separate that apart and then really talk about it and look at the options? Yeah. I, I don't have the answers. <laughs> I, yeah, I legitimately I don't have the answers. I mean, the math that I did was based on like uh, the $11 an hour minimum wage for, uh -huh. for Monterey County. Um, and obviously people get paid more, some people earn less depending on their job. Well, median income, right? Median yeah. income is what, $50,000 a year in Monterey County? Uh, it's 63. Right around that, 63. Okay, 63. so yeah. let's come up a little bit, which is great. Right. But you can't live on that. You can't no. raise a family on that. Um, not without additional supports, not without. So I, off of that issue, I see a couple different branches that you could follow. You could either look at, say, 
affordable housing ordinances, making sure that housing exists. And obviously, you can't always ask developers to eat those costs because they won't. They just don't because they're doing it for money. And this is a capitalist economy. That's what you do. So you look for resources maybe at the county level, TOT maybe, uh, transient occupancy tax, is that right? Mm -hmm. So yeah. bring in the money, subsidize the building with that. Is that's, that. That's just an idea. You've got money, this is a tourist destination for people across the world, bringing in all sorts of cash for whales that they've watched, the Monterey Bay Aquarium, uh, music festivals, things like that. Um, is the county looking at any solutions to either differing the cost of development to incentivize construction of affordable housing? Is it looking at any ways to maybe raise the minimum wage or, you know, change density bonuses? I, I'm, I, there are different, all sorts of different avenues. What is sort of floating in the ether right now? Well, I think a lot of what you talked, not TOT, but a lot of what yeah. you just mentioned were ideas and sort of general thoughts that were shared during that housing workshop mm -hmm. that the board participated in, I believe it was last month. Um, it, there wasn't clear, you know, we didn't have clear direction. It was sort of a start for a conversation. Um, the, I think as a starting point, the board has to decide whether or not they, you know, want to uh, go beyond inclusionary housing as a method to meet the, the affordable housing goals that we have. Mm -hmm. And I don't know that there's clarity yet on that point. I think everything's on the table, um, but I, I don't want to get ahead of where the board would be in terms of making decisions right. or, uh, you know. And, and a lot of what you said, right, so in order to, like I was saying, this, this, this power of three, in order to get to, so for TOT, for instance, just for instance, yeah. let's just say that, so our TOT is fully allocated. We, we spend, we receive TOT, and we spend that TOT, we spend that TOT on keeping our roads potholes filled and roads paved. We invest some of that TOT back into tourism, um, uh, bringing, you know, supporting the tourism industry through advertising, uh, through contributions to uh, the Convention and Visitors Bureau. So when you start talking about, let's, you know, could we use, and it's, it's a legitimate, all these questions are legitimate, yeah. right? But when you start saying, could we use TOT to help fund affordable housing uh, units that aren't reliant on inclusionary housing funds, you're talking about taking something away from people who've or relied on that. Or raising the tax rate by maybe a percent point. Right, or potentially that, I which mean, has asking its the community to give back Asking the community to give back more. Asking developers to give a little bit more because what I see around this country are a bunch of people who are stuck in the status quo and expecting things to change without actually sacrificing anything. And I think that that's, that element of sacrifice is something that people are having a lot of trouble wrapping their hearts and minds around. And so you've just hit the head on this, so there's a public side. So if the public doesn't support, doesn't, we would, so the public would have to say, so you're unlikely to see a situation where the board of supervisors says we've decided to move forward, we're gonna we're gonna you know take a port, we're gonna take half of our TOT, put it into affordable housing because we've decided that um, uh, the uh, we need more workforce housing, mm -hmm. and so we're gonna make it happen. Um, that's that's never gonna fly if the community doesn't say that's right. what they want. So the work to find out from the community, what does the community want? What, what are they willing to support? Who's willing to do the work to organize that, that groundswell of support from the community? Um, you know, we're talking about a, like a small portion of the TOT, possibly um, reinvesting it into some other things and, and, and the, there, there's pushback, right? There's legitimate pushback course, for that. Yeah. So, um, so I think this is where you sort of get into the, the, the crosshairs of, you know, theory, reality, political power, um, and the devil's in the detail, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, there, there so are... So I think it's all, like, so back to, it's all on the table. I think yeah. everything has to be on the table right now. We've got to have every jurisdiction looking, I mean, bottom line, every jurisdiction has got to be having these conversations, recognizing that they might be difficult, recognizing that there might be community pushback, um, willing to engage and figure out, okay, what are the real resource constraints? What's fear-based? 
what's possible, what do we have to give up in order to readjust our you know, priorities, yeah. and, then, and then figure out what action can they take to be a part of the solution. We need Carmel having that conversation hmm. because they've got 2,000 of their employees who don't live in Carmel, who are hospitality workers, yeah. who are low-paid employees, who are working, who are driving into Carmel every day, and then driving home to their community where they might live in a doubled or tripled up house. Right. And all along the way, carbon dioxide, methane, all of so that. So we need Carmel having this yeah. difficult conversation. We need Salinas having this difficult conversation. We need the County of Monterey having this difficult conversation. We need ag employers, you know, having these difficult um, conversations. We need hospital. We need Pell Beach Company, mm -hmm. you know, building employee housing. We need our school districts looking at, you know, what land do they have available and what resources do they have to make sure that folks have. We just we need everybody's ideas, mm -hmm. and we need everybody figuring out what role can they play. I don't know if there is a, a there's clearly there's no straightforward answer because yeah. we would have done it already. Of course, yeah, that, that's, that's um, but everything you mentioned, I think it's all legitimate and it's all valuable parts of the, the they all potentially have a valuable piece mm -hmm. of the puzzle. So to round things out. Yeah. <laughs> we um, kinda went all over the place no, I there, know. but I, you know, no, it's I, a, this is exactly the kind of conversation. Okay, okay, good. Okay, don't good. Worry. <laughs> I don't want to be avoiding any questions, no, but I and I would definitely that. say go back and watch. You know, you can. We have our our, our board meetings are mm -hmm. videoed. They're live streamed. You can go back and watch that. I believe it was February fifth, if my memory serves. Okay. The board had an afternoon study session, like a ton of great presentations, really great reports. A lot of information was presented. Um, so anyone who really wants to dig, dig in, like, there's there's a lot more to to delve into. Right. I'll definitely check those out. I've looked at like meeting minutes and agenda okay. yeah. um, for different cities around here. I haven't checked out a whole lot of the county okay. stuff, but that's a great idea. And keeping in mind that that whole conversation from the county board is only about unincorporated. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Good to know. Um, I want to talk just last thing about the culture of this place, of Monterey County. Uh, when I used to visit this place as a kid, I'd go to the Monterey Bay Aquarium uh -huh. with my dad. Yeah. And Monterey, you think of Monterey, seaside, community, beautiful, high cost of living, obviously. And it sort of developed around artists and authors. And I want to know, is this an inclusive place? <laughs> obviously, we've got inclusionary housing ordinances that s make it look as though the county wants there to be people that don't make tr six figures a year. But the reality is that unless you're making six figures a year, you're not going to be living in the best conditions. You're not, and let alone Carmel or Pacific Grove or something. You know, I live in Pacific Grove, paying nine hundred dollars a month for a studio in somebody's backyard, and I, that's a great price. Uh, but most students, like myself, and like you said, these uh, hospitality workers, they, why people are here? They came. And now we're like, wow, it's so hard to live here. Um, is this a place that you can call an inclusive community? Or is the culture an exclusive one? I know this isn't necessarily a yes or no, or it is one thing or another, but how is that perceived here? So I may be biased mm -hmm. in answering your question. I feel like this is my home. This has been my home. We were military. We moved all over the place, but like we always came home to my grandparents here. This was always like our home base. And when my dad got out of the military and he didn't have a job for a while, we lived with my grandparents. We moved in with them. Um, so, so when I think about Monterey County and I look around, I live in Marina. I look at how hard everyone works. I look at my neighbors. I look at. Uh, the way that I can, you know, walk to the library. I, I believe that the values of Monterey County are inclusive. I believe that the, the, the people who live here want it to be a place where there's community, like family is valued, um, community is valued, uh, where everyone is not just like inclusionary, but that like people, the people who live here belong here and have a place to belong here. And I see so much of that. 
that commitment to that and that investment in that, uh, just in so many, through our schools, through our parks, through our, the way that so many of our local governments are so small and, you know, my son knows the mayor and, uh, you know, we're, we, you just, like, people are accessible and generally fairly friendly. So uh, when I left this area and then realized, oh, yeah, it didn't, you know, as a kid, you're like, oh, get me out of, get me away from home. But realizing, you know, coming back, I just see it in this different light where, you know, we have these public, we have these amazing public spaces like the ocean and like Fort Ord where people just come together and can, um, can share in, can share in a, appreciation of this incredible place where mm -hmm. we live um, you know even our large ag companies they're all family they're family owned they're family driven they're yeah. like so so when you ask about like inclusion is Monterey County inclusionary I think that our values and what we believe and who we are it is like we, we're looking to take care of one another um, not just the privileged making no. enough money to live within a mile of the ocean. We d and we do have these incredible disparities, but I think that that's more symbolic of the world that we live in mm -hmm. and the country that we live yeah. in than it is of this community. Uh, the, the policies that we've been able to put in place in Monterey County the last 10 years, you know, we're, we're providing healthcare for undocumented individuals who don't have it elsewhere. Mm -hmm. we're, we're, we're leading the way, we, we were innovative and um, because we want to take care of each other. We have FQHC clinics here in every community of federally qualified healthcare clinics to provide, make sure that we have, yeah. uh, you know, healthcare available to, to everyone, and that's an investment that the county has made um, over time and continued to invest in. I just I see so many examples yeah. of this county caring people in this county, like people in this county caring for one another, in ways that are just above and beyond and incredible and. So, you know, yes, like our values are clear in Monterey County. Like we love, we care about families, we care about our seniors, we care about our veterans, we care about our teachers, we care about our kids mm -hmm. and our policies to the degree that we can control them locally. I see our policies supporting that. There's, and there's so much more we can do. I, <laughs> what you just said, that was encouraging. And I'm very glad to know that there is a history of altruistic values here and people like yourself working at the county level to make sure that those values don't just get buried underneath other interests. Um, obviously there's there's a lot of work to be done to make sure those values manifest and continue to because the obstacles change every day and the pathways forward have to be bushwhacked as you go. but. Yep, I talk about, you know, we grease the skids, we think about all like big trains and you can push as hard as you want, but if there's a big old boulder in front of that train, it's not going to move. So you've got to be out in front, clearing the path, mm -hmm. you've got to be behind pushing, you've got to be bringing other people to help you. It's, it's, because, it's because that community piece, that, like, and I tell people when I go talk to students, I always say, you have no idea how much power you have. Mm -hmm. Like, this is your government, these are your elected officials. These staff in all of our cities and counties, they work, you pay them. You pay them with your tax dollars. Yeah. So we're here to work for you and you have tremendous voice. And so when you organize your voice to say, as a community, these are our values and this is how we want them embodied in policy, like that's where change, there it is. That's, that's the driver of, of our future. That's what we needed to hear. <laughs> Wendy, thank you so much. Yeah, I, I, oh my gosh, I could talk about this all day long. So anyone in District 4, you got ideas for county policy, you hit us up and um, we'll get you connected to the right, the right folks. And that sounds yeah, great. Move forward. Duly noted. All right. <laughs> thank you very much. Thank you again to Wendy. That was a very insightful conversation and it heartens me to know that people like her are working at the county level and that people like her are running for office at the county level. So keep an eye out for her campaign. I think she's on to do some even bigger and better things. 
this place, Monterey, the peninsula, the larger county, there is so much potential to make it an even more inclusive community, as you heard Wendy say. Whether it's housing policy, or water, or just making sure that everybody's voices are heard and that everything percolates up to the county level that matters. Uh, make your voice heard. She is listening. Jane Parker, the supervisor who's currently serving, is listening, and so are all the other supervisors in their positions across the county. Go to the website. Just look up Monterey County Board of Supervisors, and you will find which district is yours and whom you should talk to to have your voice heard. That's it for now. Stay tuned for more great episodes of Miss Radio. Thank you for listening.